Gillian Allnutt is the author of nine collections of poetry, the most recent of which, Wake, was published by Bloodaxe in 2018. Ahead of its publication, Susanna V. Evans caught up with Gillian Allnutt at the Stanza Poetry Festival in St Andrews to reflect on her career in writing and to hear her read from some of her earlier work. This podcast is brought to you by the Department of English Studies at Durham University. Gillian Allnutt at Stanza after her reading on Sunday night, the closing night of the festival. So thank you, Gillian, for joining me today. And Gillian Allnutt is a London-born, Durham-based poet. She has published eight collections, including her retrospective How the Bicycle Shone, New and Selected Poems, which was published by Bloodaxe in 2007. And she has a new collection, Wake, coming out in May this year. She's worked in journalism and teaching and as a creative writing tutor and mentor. She has also held a Royal Literary Fund Fellowship at Newcastle and Leeds, that's 2001-3, and she's received the Northern Rock Foundation Writers' Award and was presented with the Queen's Gold Medal for Poetry 2016. So um, thank you again for being here. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> so I wanted to, to start with a biographical question, really. Um, but you've published eight collections, and I was wondering how you started writing, and if you were always drawn to words rather than, for example, visual art. Um, I heard myself say when I was seven mm. that I was going to be a writer. Mm. Um, I was at a Catholic convent school in Newcastle, last mm. suggest, mm. and um, at one November afternoon. I think the teacher had time left before the bell went mm. and she went round a class of 44 girls. Wow. Um, we were first year juniors, we were seven, eight, and asked everyone what they wanted to do, what they would be mm. when they grew up. Mm. And when it came to me, I said, I want to be a mummy. And they all <laughs> laughed. Oh no. That was, that's why I remember this story. Yeah, so I quickly yeah. corrected it to, well, all right, then I'll be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> there, there seems to me to be a sort of a quietness and also, but also kind of sharp beauty, I would say, in your writing and the sense of things sort of being stripped back. And I think, to me, that comes across partly through things like the spacing of your work, because a lot of the white page shows through when you sort of have the lines isolated. And to me, it seems like there's an emphasis, kind of, kind of like a poetry of the line as well, like the lines are very important units of themselves. And I was just wondering if writing is a quiet process for you and if you feel like you need to turn inwards when you write or whether it's something different. Um, yes, I do turn inwards. Mm. And um, for many, many years, writing was attached to teaching creative writing. And a lot of my poems started in workshops when I did the exercises that I set the people mm, who came to the workshop. Mm, mm. And um, that sounds very selfish, but actually it worked. I think it's a good thing because it's you're doing the things that you're kind of interested in seeing happen. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. And I was laying myself on the line, so in terms of, yeah. of trust and democracy, it was yeah. quite important. But then I got the Northern Rock Foundation Writers' Award and, uh, and realised... Um, because when you get... When you got that, you were asked to give up some of your paid work so that other writers could 
do it mm. um, because it, it is, as you know it's quite tough financially being a writer and mm. I being an all or nothing person thought right no more teaching for two mm. years three years yeah so um, and that was actually quite hard because I was giving up not because I was giving up the money but because I was giving up the structure mm. and what mm. took mm. me out of my house and out of myself mm. and, and enabled me to work with other people but nevertheless I did it and then I realized the writing would attach itself to something else and what it attached to was meditation and so I think that probably became quieter yeah sort of going back to your eight collections do you feel like the collections are doing very different things and also kind of following on from that do you ever sit down and by the fire or and, and take up one of your older collections and, and just read it um I, I never take them out and simply read them yeah but uh, when I was putting the new and selected yeah, together, yeah. Um, I looked back to the first collection, which was uh, Spitting the Pips Out with um, Sheba, mm. feminist publishers, and the second one, Beginning the Avocado, with Virago. Mm. And I found, looking th- through um, Beginning the Avocado, I was really surprised to see that I was doing then what I have been doing much more recently and thought that mm. I was doing for the first time, <laughs> but actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd forgotten, in a yeah. way. Quite interesting how the, just the, you know, the later work of a writer often does, it's, it's quite rooted in, you know, mm. the early, early ideas. So as I said at the beginning, you were born in London, but you're based um, in Durham now, as you said in your reading, in a former pit village. And, and I was just wondering if you were more or are more of a, a city person or a countryside person and how that might feed into your work. Um, I'm kind of born a city person and mm. my childhood was split between London and Newcastle mm. and then when I was 15 we moved to Dorking mm. in Surrey but that's still a town. Yeah. Um, and then I was in Cambridge and then I was in Brighton and then I was in London and then I was back in Newcastle mm-hmm. um, and Eshwinning I see as the country I mean it is a big expat village mm-hmm. with 3,000 people and when I first went I thought I don't know if this is a village or a town mm-hmm. but everybody calls it a village by mm-hmm. tradition I suppose mm-hmm. um, and it is in the country in the sense that if I go off on a walk in the country, when I come back, I am still in the country. And that's the big, <laughs> the big difference. And, and I do, um, I mean, if I go to Newcastle, I maybe get the train back to Durham. And when I get off in Durham, I feel half relieved. And mm. then I get the bus back to Ishwinning and I get off the relieved. bus and it's like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have changed. I, I, need, yeah. I need the space. The space, yeah. Um, and... You talk about the strenuous makeshift sea in your poem Sunday afternoon at Mahara. Yes, um, from Lintel, your 2001 collection. So I was wondering if you feel a pull towards the sea, and if you do, or if you don't, um, how it feels to be where we are now in St Andrews, sort of surrounded by the sea. I do. I never like to be too far from the mm. sea. Mm. So where Tom, my partner of the last four years, lives in Cheltenham, mm. it is very landlocked. Mm. And although I I love the Cotswolds, which I didn't know before, mm. um, I, I do feel the sea is too far away in yeah. every direction. And, and just thinking about the imagery in some of your work, um, I really love the images of things like kettles and rocking chairs in your writing so for instance you have a poem from Blackthorn and there's a long line I'm resplendent here in the 
sacred rocking chair of your heart. And then um, your poem After Breakfast features both a rocking chair and a kettle. <laughs> and then you have images of things like stars as sewing machines. These sort of, I mean, in some sense, are emblems of domesticity. Mm. Uh, but I feel like you, you sort of light them up for something else, almost in quite a painterly way. And the painter it made me think mm. of is Vermeer, who, mm. you know, he just sort of has this light cast on a jug and it transforms a jug. And Polly Atkin, in her talk on Jane Cooper, um, mm. quoted a poem where I think uh, Jane Cooper talks about a radiance of attention. Mm. Um, and I was wondering, well, sort of about whether it's a sort of a spiritual thing, but also just if visual art had or is, had been or is an influence on your writing. I, I think, um, I think I, I'm trying to remember the specifics of this, but I learned from Emily Bronte yeah. um, how important it is um, to be rooted with your in the earth, with your feet on the ground. Mm. If you want to go a long way out, spiritually or mystically, you've got the further out you go, the more rooted you have to be. Yeah. And um, I mean, she was rooted in the, the moors around mm. Haworth, and. Mm. Um, also, when she wasn't away teaching to try and get some money for herself and the family, and which she hated, uh, she was working domestically, and mm. so um, I remember she would prop her German book, she was teaching herself German at one stage, um, on the shelf above the sink and, and peel the potatoes and, and learn German, and mm. I thought, you're right, I know <laughs> yes. that's right. <laughs> yes. So it's that, it is, it's that relationship between... Further out you go, the more mm. solidly rooted mm. you must be mm. here. Mm. And I just, I just sort of wanted to finish with one last question, because I actually, um, well, again, it's a sort of two-part question. Um, what are you writing at the moment? But also, if you could only ever write about one thing or concept, what what would it be? Um, I, think, I think it would, I mean, uh, into my mind comes anonymity, which I am fascinated by mm. and have been for the last few years, yeah. uh, silence. But actually, it needs to be a thing um, to uh, fructify, to, to, to take you mm. to lots of different places, and that thing might be a stone. Mm. Somebody counted up the stones, and actually it was beginning the avocado, the second yeah. collection, and told me just how many there were, and, and mm. I was... That's so I've been aware of it ever since. Yeah. So, so actually, talking of spitting the pips out, I was wondering if you could, if you could maybe start by reading a poem from from that collection, mm -hmm. um, because it's Mother's Day today. Um, yes. <laughs> so actually, um, I've sort of picked out. It, it's called a poem for my mother, but I, I felt like it would be a nice poem to read today, as it's mm -hmm. Mother's Day. And I also really like the color, the you know, the image of color and also fabric at the beginning. A poem for my mother. The sky is the quiet blue colour of Mary's faded cotton frock. Carpenter's wife, picking the splinters out of her husband's fingers. And I am thinking quietly about you, who played Chopin less perfectly than Rubinstein. I remember your difficult bits, as if somewhere the grass got into a knot, or the moon cricked her neck very slightly, and everything was all right. Clockmender's wife, picking the cogs and wheels out of the boiling pan, before the sky walks quietly into another ordinary dawn. Thank you. The other poem that I was really drawn to, I mean, there were lots of sort of turning, turning the pages down of sort of ones that I was 
Thank you for asking me to read. Um, mm-hmm. But this is one that I like because I, I like sort of the hidden stories of various women in mm-hmm. your writing. And and this is a poem called Lizzie Siddle, if that's how you pronounce oh, it. Yes. Um, her journal, 1862. It's a sequence and it's about Elizabeth Eleanor Siddle, who was the pre-Raphaelite model for Rossetti mm-hmm. and the model for Ophelia. And then she later married Rossetti and then in the note you say... With his wife, Rossetti buried his poems to her. Seven years later, he had her exhumed in order to retrieve the poems. It was said that her red hair was still bright. And this is this is a slightly longer poem, but I just thought, I, I like this one, so... Lizzie Siddle, Her Journal, 1862. One. Pre-Raphaelite, they say. I sit for hours and peer at painted women in a book. Peer as into mirrors, lest my face forsake me, and the fable of my hair. And I not fit the cap I often wear so ill in his peculiarly silent heart. 2. I said to him today, I'd love to draw. No, not another angel, but the likeness of my own poor soul. I think it like the moon, a plain round saucer, or the bottom of a shallow pan. I am the daughter of an ironmonger. When he married me, he made the man behind the counter write out carefully, optician, and he spelled it slowly for him. I remember the morning my father died. They said I made a prim, a proper bride. They had already paid me a shilling an hour to be, who was it now, Ophelia. Ophelia died by her own fair hand, they said. They made believe she drowned, as I did, in that bath they brought me to day after day. I held my breath so long I thought I would die too. I was afraid when they spoke of the beautiful dead woman in the book. They thought of her soul, not mine, dragged under by my own hair and the dress I put on every day. For better, for worse, I dared this afternoon to say to him, in one of his indifferent moods, that I should like to be alone a while, as lonely as the moon is. Wistful phrases please him. I said nothing of my soul, of course. 3. Coppernob, my father always said, giving the kettle a good hard rub, and go to bed now, Lizzie, or you'll lose the lovely red of your hair. No man will choose you, though you thread the finest needle between here and Mayfair. Look after it, girl. I was rare enough to him, a sight for sore eyes, used to the long, dim days in the shop, and bright as a kettle in the dust behind the counter where I played. These days, rarer, father, all those pictures, and I think perhaps I should have stayed at home where I belonged. Here is a housemaid and her row of warming pans. I may not lend a hand to anyone. I live here with my red hair buried far beneath it. It betrays me to him. But inside me, something tries to live, as if it were my own child turning in her grave, and still my wild red hair will go on, keening, shining for him. Father, call me home on kettle-cleaning day. 4. Come to bed now, Lizzie, do, he pleads. But I am slow with buttons, slow to braid my hair. It is hard to leave the mirror alone. 
I do not know who I am without her, whose loveliness is everything to him. I am spare in soul. I leave my body beautiful to him, who makes believe he beds a lady. Beatrice may be the one who can undo her body like a button, who can let him into his dream. Unknowing and unknown, I am beyond the pale and lovely land of lady. Wakeful now, I wait for morning light, the bright mane of her hair to burn out of the mirror. 5. In bare grey light he slept like a saint. I crept into his empty room, and that paint woman was grinning as if she had risen from the grave as if she had removed the stone of love that laid her tenderly in earth, that stayed her hand, her mouth, as if she, grinning, had grown out of him, had gripped the bone of Adam in her teeth and stripped it of its dream, as if at last she'd torn the truth from him and laughed at his little death alone and laid her lovely head upon the pale grey stone. She beckoned me to come, plain as I was in my nightdress, and gave me her own name, Beatrice. Late this afternoon I stole into the room again, but she, subdued and sorrowful, looked only out from the little window of his dream. 6. Laudanum is half a honeymoon, and by my little window blows laburnum, morning brief euphoria, the hour of buttermilk. But then the wind-blown water-light withdraws. The long, dour afternoon grows over me, a hood, a close brown pod. And I, my soul, my sun, my seed, am poisoned inly. 7. She has been his bedded Beatrice. He'll have his dead soul soon enough. Dante Gabriel's wife is far from well, a walking shadow, Shorn of his wild desire, she fades as do the lilies of the field. Only her hair is still on fire. 8. I, Lizzie, once a girl growing up in the old Kent Road, give my soul to God, the ironmonger. Send word to my father when I am dead. Thank you. It's ages since I've read that. I really like that one. I like that one. And I like, I was saying this actually when I, when I, um, I spoke with Will Harris, who was a poet here as well, and he had a poem about a field of cornflowers and there's a girl who wraps, um, sort of twines this bracelet around her mm. wrist. And I said, I said to him, I brought up the, the poet, the Dun, John Donne poem with a bracelet of bright hair about the bone, the two yeah, lovers who yeah. are, and the red hair, the red hair that's still red when she's exhumed also makes me think of that. Mm. Sort of his bright hair yes. through death. Yes. <laughs> um, and I mean, I know I've just asked you to read a very long poem, but uh, if you wouldn't mind reading, maybe finishing with just one more. One, one that I was drawn to, um, partly because it mentions T.S. Eliot, who I'm <laughs> researching at the yes. moment, um, but it's from your 1997 collection, and this poem is, is actually called Rocking Chair. A rocking Chair. Nantucket's not a bit like Rembrandt's mother reading. She's a riot and a reverence of thought. Apparent quiet. Espresso. Coffee pot. For if you left her rolling cigarettes, 
She'd like as not set fire to all the rocking chairs wherein she ever sat. If not, she'd chafe and suffer long, as T.S. Eliot, years after four quartets, sat chewing sweets, and all the little bits of laughter left in her would sail out like a fleet of fishing boats upon the hill she looks at. She set fair to, what do you call it, meditate, or make up hats and pockets for the angels hitherto unheard, unheard of. Fierce, the far-fetched light she fettles by, would get her bread by, knitting, if her fingers would. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, talk, talk about the reader. I mean, you know, there's the coffee, knitting, mm-hmm. and you mentioned knitting in the reading as well. Is it if, if the idea that if you're knitting, you're not, you're never knitting you're alone? Never alone if you there's this history, yes. in it. and again, that's it's braiding and twining. And thank you very much again for talking with me. Oh well, thank you for asking me to read them. Actually, it's <laughs> nice to nice to revisit them. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you would like to comment on the podcast you have just listened to, or if you want to download more of our podcasts, visit our blog at www.readdurhamenglish.wordpress.com.